0: Welcome back folks, if you can take your seats please, we'll get started with our next session. I hope you all had some fun networking with peers and that you enjoyed the lunch and had some thought-provoking conversations with folks from industry and partners and your peers. Next up we'll explore the business of building a more resilient government. Please welcome Donald Remy, Deputy Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs and John Tien, Deputy
1: Secretary at the Department of Homeland Security, and Jonathan Albaum, Federal CTO at ServiceNow. Welcome. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Steve. Well, welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed lunch and had some great networking opportunities. Um, thank you all for being here at FedForum today. It's been a tremendous day so far. We, uh, we have a great panel uh, next, and we're going to be focusing on mission resiliency. As Steve said, my name is Jonathan Albaum, and I'm the federal CTO for ServiceNow. Before I joined ServiceNow, I worked in the federal government for many years, and I had the opportunity, the honor, to work for the secretary and the deputy secretary at the Department of Agriculture. So I have a pretty good sense of the challenges and the complexities that our our panelists face when it comes to keeping their agencies running. So um, first, I'd want to thank you both for being here. It's really an honor to have the opportunity to moderate a panel with two deputy secretaries. And I'd like to have you each share some thoughts on the importance of mission resiliency in your agencies and, you know, let us know the priorities that your offices have. So Deputy Secretary Remy, I'd like to start with you.
2: Well, first, Jonathan, let me say thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor, in fact, to be here with you and to be on the stage with my colleague, John Tien. Uh, It is just a wonderful time to talk about resiliency because, as we all know, it's the core of how we deliver on our mission. And we just started this month of March. Some call it March Madness. For those of you who know my prior career, you'd recognize what that means to, to me. But in the context of our agency and as we think about what we have to do, we realize that our mission is everlasting. At the Department of Veterans Affairs, we're responsible for providing world class health care to all of our veteran population, providing timely access to benefits to that same community. And so we recognize whether challenges present that are a pandemic, for example, or weather challenges, or other incidents that might arise that would impact what our mission is, we have to be resilient and get through that. Mm -hmm. And so what have we done? We've looked at those challenges and how our agency has responded over time. And what we found is that we can deliver more care and more benefits to more veterans than ever before using the lessons learned from our prior experiences and understanding what we have to do to move forward. And we can talk about some of those things. I know we have a limited amount of time, but we've been able to incorporate what we've learned over the years in terms of what our veterans need, their families need, what their caregivers and survivors need. Incorporate that human-centered design, and I know your, mm-hmm. your folks heard about that earlier, right. and the journey map of a veteran to be able to deliver on the mission of this agency. Yeah, it's a tremendous story.
1: Yeah. We, that, we, that we heard this morning. Deputy Secretary Tien, how about, how about at the Department of Homeland Security?
0: Well, great, thanks very much, Jonathan, uh, and uh, thanks t- uh, to you for moderating this panel. Thanks to all of the uh, folks in this room looking around. It looks like a great crowd. I gotta look at some of the demographics where you all come from. I know there's a good folks set of folks in here, maybe even a majority set of folks who, like uh, Don and I, in and, and your prior life, Jonathan, as well, Uh, are indeed current active federal employees uh, and then a lot in the private sector who are looking to help build a community of support uh, to us in the federal government. So again, thanks to all of you who are doing what you're doing every day and for being interested in this topic about resilience, about technology, and about leveraging uh, things like uh, data integration. So that's great. Appreciate you coming. Thanks to, uh, to Don Remy here. Uh, he won't like it, but I'm going to embarrass him here for a second. Uh, if you take a look at Don Remy's uh, biography, it's a long life of uh, service to the nation, in and out of the private sector and some other things. Uh, you know, he was talking about his prior job. He didn't say it, NCAA, I will. Uh, and, uh, but you know, he was, like me, uh, an Army veteran. Uh, he was an Army captain. He served in the Department of Justice. Came back, answered the call of service to raise his right hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And why am I doing this lead-up? Not so that Don gets all the hard questions, I get the easy ones, (laughs) Uh, but much more so that, uh, you know, Don, and this is public knowledge, uh, Don uh, has concluded this chapter uh, as the Deputy Secretary of of, uh, Veterans Affairs, uh, and I think we should give him a round of applause for coming back.
1: Congratulations. Uh,
0: So, for the Department of Homeland Security, You know, two things. Number one, and I know that the question is gonna be on the books here. In fact, I think uh, we'll talk about COVID-19. So I won't go so much into that, although I do think, and I'll I'll talk about that in a minute, about what is the, we gotta be retrospective about it, but we really wanna be prospective, learning about the lessons learned from that. But in terms of, broadly speaking, uh, when we talk about resilience of Department of Homeland Security, if you think about it, and if any of you are DHSers, don't raise your hands, uh, but if you think about our history and if you're following the news cycle a little bit in the, you know, um, in, in the federal community, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary mm-hmm. about two weeks ago over in St. Elizabeth, over at a headquarters. You have to cross a different river to get to our headquarters. It's a great headquarters. Uh, the President King spoke about it. And 20 years, long time, right? Uh, but we know, the Secretary Mayorkas and I both know, that there's still opportunities for transformation for the department, for maturation for the department, and so much of that comes around building a, a set of integrated systems, oftentimes making sure we're leveraging technology in the right way. There were two things that the Secretary asked me to do when I came in, number one, be the Deputy Secretary. Number two, like Don and other Deputy Secretaries, truly be uh, a statutory, fellow statutory mm-hmm. roles, the Chief Operating Officer. And so I've really, uh, he's asked me to focus on transformation, again, where technology, data integration are a key part of it. So much so that for our um, 2023 priorities, the Secretary's 2023 priorities, there's 12 of them. I'm not gonna go through all 12, Jonathan's good because the, the clock's ticking. <laughs> uh, but. Six of them are focused on what you would think about mission-specific things like counterterrorism, being prepared for climate uh, climate change, things of that nature. But six of them are very much focused on transformation organizationally. Three on the workforce and three focused on mission delivery. And within there, we make sure that resilience, uh, preparedness, and again, integrating technology in the best way possible for the American people is a big part of it.
1: Well, I, I want to build on what you, what you just said, sir. When we think about um, the world post-COVID, we know that we, we learned a lot. We've moved to remote and hybrid work. And uh, I'd like to hear from you, um, both of you actually, but we'll start with you, uh, Deputy Secretary Tien. What are the lessons that you think we've learned as a country about how we can organize and use technology to ensure that things, the government services work under any condition?
0: Yep, thanks. So number one, again, look across the audience, a good majority of you are federal employees uh, who were in the government uh, during the the global pandemic. And really, hats off to all of you. I was not, I was in the private sector uh, like Don was during much of, depends on when you define it, but certainly 2020 and first part of 2021. Uh, And it took a lot of, I think, agility uh, and flexibility to deal with that situation, both as professionals and personally. One thing, though, when I went back and I I looked at how the Department of Homeland Security handled it in 2020, and also 2021 and portions of 2022, what I saw was an organization, and I think this is probably true for a lot of the federal government, that was very proactive the minute this looked like it was happening, in which it started, and I don't want to name vendors or anything like that, uh, but one of the things they did was said, all right, we're going to go to a particular set of systems that is going to allow us to be um, not only efficient and effective in terms of how, how we do things, but also to be safe. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk a little bit about the, the mission of uh, the Department of Homeland Security in terms of uh, cybersecurity. But one of the big things was we have to have a system that is going to allow us to, uh, if we apply the right kind of cyber hygiene, the right kind of cyber hygiene, that the system will actually reward that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was really important. Now, that's a retrospective look towards COVID-19. I think moving forward, the term of art that we all tend to use is really future of work, right? Now, generally, people tend to look at uh, future of work and say, well, that's telework, right? Or it's remote work, or it's hybrid. Well, You know, we at the department, I think, broadly across the federal government, look at future of work and say, we actually take a step back, take a breath, and say, what is the mission? What, how do we leverage the fact uh, that things have changed in terms of, we'll use the the telework as an example, how do we use that to best support our mission? Someone told me the other day, it's not my lane, it's much more Don's, but uh, a doctor told me the other day, who's in federal government, pretty senior said, you know what, what COVID did, glass out full view obviously on COVID is, it accelerated telemedicine by a decade, right? It just made it so ubiquitous and user friendly at a scaled level that people were able to integrate with it. And that's how we're trying to look at almost every single job that we have across the department is how do we use the fact that people are more comfortable in the telework environment? Uh, How do we use this, the fact that we had to integrate and have operational cohesion on a level that we had never seen before? I will close with this. You can't, the Department of Homeland Security, 70% of the department could not telework because they put on a uniform, and in some cases, uh, you, know, they wear, you know, they wear a sidearm or a firearm, so they, they never could truly telework. But we did have to go from 10,000 to 70,000 and telework.
1: Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. impressive. And, you know, I think what you're describing is, you know, ensuring that you have technology systems that offer flexibility and platforms that offer flexibility, sure. which, makes a, which makes such a huge, huge difference. Deputy Secretary Reming, what, what, what did the VA learn, and how have you applied those lessons going forward?
2: Well, I'd like to pick up where John left off because it is one of the clear lessons learned that we have as the Department of Veterans Affairs in terms of providing health care. And first, before I get there, thank you for the shout out, John, I appreciate you. It's always terrific to be here with you, and I appreciate you uh, and your recognition of me in this role. You know, we are the largest integrated health care system in America. Mm -hmm. at the VA. And during the height of the pandemic, we had to make sure that we had a vehicle to continue to provide health care to our veteran community. And we needed to make sure we could provide that health care where they were. And what we learned, and I was surprised, as surprised about this as any, is that our veteran community appreciated the ability to receive their care through telemedicine. Mm-hmm. I, I would not have thought that going yeah. into this time period. And to, to John's point in talking to the doctor, you know, we're able to do this in a way that we never thought we would. I think about my dad, mm. who's a Vietnam vet. And and I think, you know, is this guy really gonna participate in telemedicine or is he going to want to be physically where his doctor is? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for every cohort of veteran patient, we learned that they can appreciate the value of that telemedicine. And and so we can tap into uh, their appointments, where they need to be, or of course, we can still have people coming to the office. Obviously, there's a significant number of medical procedures that can only occur in person. And so during the height of the pandemic, we had a significant portion of our workforce like yours, John, that continued to come to the office, to come to the hospital. And those people worked day in and day out tirelessly, to continue to take care of our veteran community in the most challenging of circumstances. And I'm so proud of the VA family and for all the clinicians, the healthcare providers, the nurses, the the physicians assistants, the nurses assistants, everyone, for continuing to work through those challenges. But we learned that we could do things differently when we have to. And so now that we're getting to this point in the pandemic, we're realizing that we can practice medicine in a hybrid environment mm-hmm. and we can provide those services that people have grown accustomed to during this time period um, where the veteran wants to receive them. And so that's a terrific part of what we learned. In, in overall, in our efforts at digitization and tapping into technology, we've done a lot of things, even beyond telemedicine to make sure that everyone can have access to the services we provide. This is across the government, not just at VA. Uh, We're working, you know, in the president's management agenda, Mm -hmm. which you referenced, I I had the good fortune of uh, co-chairing the president's priority number two around customer experience. And I know your team heard about customer experience earlier with uh, Robin Carnahan at GSA and Mm -hmm. your colleague, Drew Brollnau, who uh, recently left as DepSec at USDA. And we, we focused on how to get this one-stop shop for the American custom through USA.gov and how you can go there and then get to any agency. You can get to DHS, you can get to VA, and you can get to the benefits that you're looking for. You're making government very accessible. Absolutely. very simple to go one place
1: and then be able to branch off into the different programs or agencies. We were talking about before, to the average person, the government is the government. It's very hard to distinguish between agencies or programs or levels of government. So I, I really love what you're describing because it's making government more accessible, which is one of those things we have to do to build trust and to, to create a, uh, a government that people are engaged in. So I, I really appreciate your, uh, your comments. Uh, Deputy Secretary Tian, um, have you seen technology create trust like we're talking about? If you could provide some... You know, examples of perspective on that. That's a, a, f- really a great problem. question,
0: in, in so many different ways, it's you know, you say create trust. So you know, the way uh, the Department Secretary Mayorkas and I look at it, it's, it's trust with who? So it's actually trust with uh, you know, I think you're thinking you know, okay, American people for sure, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's also trust with our fellow employees, with all of you who are out there in the federal workforce, is. And if you uh, think back to what I spoke about at the very beginning, those 12 priorities, uh, three really uh, very much focus on the workforce, it is about making sure that we're providing, and you said make it more accessible, but we're also making sure that we are bringing in technology, bringing in digitization, bringing in uh, management, not only in terms of the software platforms, but also what I would call the, the infrastructure that drives the policies both inside, Outside, but also inside the Department of Homeland Security. So one of the things that we're making sure we're doing is across our components, we call them, you know, if it's FEMA, TSA, USCIS, uh, CBP, ICE, Secret Service, you know, CISA, those those are the organizations that we're making sure that there is a CIO council, the CDO council, especially, uh, I think, you know, CTO council, Those are the organizations, those are the driving forces that say, what are the right policies both outside and inside? So we want to make sure that uh, we are providing the software and the right policies and the right guiding principles so that they can do their jobs in the best way possible for who? for the American people, for essentially our customers. So one thing I love riding in uh, on the coattails of Don Remy is the VA, and again, I'm, I don't think I said it before, I applauded for you as a fellow American, but I also applauded for you as a fellow veteran, uh, and I use a lot of the services and the benefits that you provide me in our community, Don, so thank you, uh, is the human-centered design piece that mm-hmm. you've already spoken about here, you all have spoken about, and Don spoke about. Uh, we. When, when people think of VA, I think they do say, "Okay, well, that makes sense. You're serving, you know, uh, 20 million plus veterans." When they think of the Department of Homeland Security. You're, you're thinking about our, our security mission, but if you think about TSA, FEMA, USCIS, CBP, we, we're touching two, three, four million Americans every single day, uh, and we want to make sure that uh, those folks. And we actually just created for the first time ever. We've always had customer experience in there, but we actually created a customer experience office, mm-hmm. uh, hiring the right people who, who come from that arena and understand what human-centered design really means. I think a really good example is what uh, our administrator, Deanne Criswell, the first woman uh, FEMA administrator ever, Uh, is doing over there and saying, we've got to make sure that when a person is in need, when a family is in need, maybe a small business is in need as a result, and we're seeing so much uh, extreme weather, that uh, FEMA is providing them support, especially through the online environment, because that's really become sort of the ubiquitous uh, customer system of choice, and that they are not blocked as a result of technology, but Mm -hmm. in fact enabled, going back to your point earlier around accessibility.
1: Very good. And it builds on concepts of equity. It builds on access. It builds on all these things we've talked about. And technology is, again, you know, that enabler. It should not be uh, a roadblock or an an impediment. It should be an enabler. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of that comes through collaboration with industry. Government industry have to work together to create these kinds of solutions. And I think this kind of collaboration can support resiliency as well. And uh, Deputy Secretary Remy, what what is the VA doing from a uh, perspective of working with industry to strengthen the VA and those services and enhance
2: resiliency. Well, it takes a community to actually deliver on what I talked about earlier. What I call the greatest mission of any agency, and that's to deliver the care and veterans to uh, the care and benefits to our veterans that they've earned. And you know, I start when I think about the the community, the business community. I start with our veteran service organizations because. Uh, when you reference resiliency, in my mind, that means something that will last for the rest of time. And our veteran service organizations exist throughout the country in all kinds of communities. And it's that group of people that can help us deliver on our message, that group of people that we tap into to talk about Things like the PACT Act, which is mm-hmm. a piece of legislation that President Biden signed in last October, uh, August, excuse me, that is going to provide more benefits than likely we've ever seen before in more health care to our veterans. But we've got to get people to know about that piece of legislation and what it might mean for them. John talked about the fact that he's a veteran and I'm a veteran. I'm just curious, how many people in here are veterans? Look at that. And how many of you know what the PACT Act is? Only about half less, of you. And, and see, so we have to be able to use the community, the business community, the VSA, the VSO community, to get out that message, to let people know that if they served in certain theaters at certain periods of time and were exposed to toxins and they have a variety of different conditions, they've earned health care, they've mm-hmm. earned benefits. And so that's one of the ways that we can tap into... The business community is an example, I should say, of one thing we can tap into the community to get the message out so that people can get access to that health care and get access to those benefits. Also, you know, obviously, our agency engages in contracts with any number of people to help us provide that care and provide those benefits, everything from electronic health records to the ability to process benefits claims through electronic means, and so we engage with that community Quite frequently, to to have those services at our fingertips to enhance the services that we can provide to the veteran community.
1: Well, uh, the uh, you know the, what I'm thinking as you're saying that is knowledge is power, and if we can get those that information out to a veteran to the veteran community and they have the ability to seek health care, they're going to be healthier. They're going to be more productive. They're going to have greater opportunity, and the oppor- the the chance to be part of that conversation. I think a lot of organizations want to want to take part. It's a way to contribute, absolutely. And um, so I think it's that's a that's a great call for for uh, organization to help spread the word. I want to pivot uh, a second um, to the concept of security Mm. and cyber, whether it's cybersecurity or homeland security. Deputy Secretary Tian, what is the the connection in your mind between security and Enhanced technology, digitization, how it ties into this big idea of resiliency. I uh, appreciate that, Jonathan. Well, let me start
0: with by talking about uh, restating the mission of the Department of Homeland Security. It is with honor and integrity, we will safeguard the American people, our homeland, and our values. And I'll say it again with honor and integrity, we will safeguard the American people, our homeland, and our values. Now, when you, you think about that, it's, you can go across all of the different big eight components that we have. I spoke about a couple of them already, FEMA and TSA, uh, but one of them, CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agencies, their main mission is, is around security, especially in, the, uh, in terms of cyber defense. They are literally, I mean, if you go onto their website, their mission statement is, as uh, I'll paraphrase, is as America's cyber defense agency, we will uh, manage uh, understand and reduce the risk of, uh, to our, our critical infrastructure in terms of cybersecurity. Now, that's a pretty tall order, especially when I look across this room, a, a bunch of federal employees and a lot of private sector where 85% of the critical infrastructure is owned and operated by the private sector. So a lot of responsibility lies there. The responsibility right now tends to fall a lot on our individuals, whether you're an employee or whether you're, an, or you're a consumer. And at CISA, one thing that we're really trying to get across is, obviously, we want micro uh, responsibility. But we're also trying to uh, make sure that we move it up the chain of responsibility so that we can get a scaled effect, uh, particularly around cyber hygiene, what are the responsibilities. And as anybody who sits in this room knows, and especially in this industry knows, is that the cyber threat actors are moving much faster, actually, mm-hmm. uh, with obviously a lot of nefarious aims than the rest of us. So I think from a security perspective, I only focused on CISA in that particular regard, uh, but I think it's an important one because it's um, so evolutionary and fast moving. There's another piece to this though. So you when know, I started and I read and I talked about the mission statement, with honor, integrity we will safeguard the American people, our homeland and our values. People tend to focus on the safeguard piece. But think about what what bookends that mission statement. With honor, integrity, and values. With honor, integrity, and values. And this is really about the responsibility of the Department of Homeland Security, as with all of us, to make sure that our fellow Americans, your information, your personal identifiable information, Don obviously thinks about this uh, for, for healthcare as well but that your personal information for whatever use it's being used for, you're your swiping your ID, uh, real ID, your driver's license, uh, facial recognition, things of that nature, that we, we aren't just doing it because... Well, we feel like we have to do it because there's a privacy law, but because literally it's part of who we are as Americans in terms of the privacy rights of Americans, the civil rights of Americans, and the civil liberties of Americans. So the thing again, there's a lot of safeguard and security in our mission statement, but it
1: starts and ends with honor, integrity, and values. Very good. We're we're coming to to the end of our panel and you know i think there. you know we talked a lot about covid we've talked about lessons learned and and the idea of how mission resiliency builds into these these uh is built into some of the lessons learned and it feels like we have a more responsive government post-covid it feels like we have the opportunity to deliver better for for citizens Uh, i i would love for each of you to provide one additional thought or lesson learned or uh idea that people at this conference can take forward to to back to their agencies or back to their companies? Um, Deputy Secretary Rep.
2: Not original at all, but teamwork makes the dream work. What what we learned during the pandemic was how the team can come together to deliver in a more efficient and more effective manner on the mission of the agency. I talked about the healthcare, the providing of healthcare Mm -hmm. through telehealth before. What I didn't talk about is the reality that we're processing more claims for benefits than we ever have before. Mm -hmm. The backlog of those claims has reduced than it has been and has existed in the past. Now, the PACT that may make some of that go up and we'll continue to process, but we'll take all the lessons we learned by working together as a team in a stressful, challenging environment, some remote, some in-person, hybrid workforce to continue to deliver on our mission for our best.
1: Teamwork makes the dream work, I love it. Deputy Secretary, bring, bring us home.
0: Yeah, I um, number one agree with everything uh, Don said. There, we have to be—you have to be smart. You have to think. Retro, you have to look retrospectively and think prospectively, because if not, uh, you know that's that's a failure of leadership uh, in many ways. And I know that they're doing it at the VA, and I certainly know we're doing it at the VA. You know, I talked about the 20th anniversary at the beginning of this talk. Let me, let me talk about another, you know, about the philosophy that Secretary Mayorkas and I came into the administration with, which is around transformation and building on, we know history didn't start with us, but we're really building on the shoulders of others who have done great things at DHS. We want to continue to mature the or- organization and we'll leverage technology in the appropriate way for all the things I've said. But, Think about what the, uh, you know, Don and I are part of the Biden-Harris administration. We came in, in the Biden administration, with the philosophy of build back better, to build back better. This is just, we just passed the second anniversary of the American uh, Rescue Plan. That's, this is a philosophy, it's a lot of programs, it's a lot of good programs, it's a lot of funding. uh, It's funding across the United States of America. But ultimately, ultimately, this is a philosophy that says, that all of us in this room who are federal employees and certainly Don and me and Jonathan in his prior life is we have a moral obligation to serve the American people and we need to find every way that we can to be, as Don said, efficient, uh, uh, philosophically correct in how we approach their, their privacy information and incredibly effective. And that's why I think this, this, this speaking about resilience Uh, is not just about uh, the here and now, it's about the future.
1: Uh, What a a great way to end our panel. Let's think about the future. And uh, with that, we're going to bring this panel to a close. I want to thank you both for being here. It's tremendous to have two deputy secretaries be able to talk about a topic so relevant and timely. Thank you so much. And I'm going to turn things back over to Steve Walters. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.